that is Kevin Eccles, the, the whole other half of the Melanie Eccles. Yeah, there you go. And those online. Yeah, we're grateful to have uh, them both with us today. And uh, just grateful to have, there you go, uh, just to have them here. Thank you. Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, you may have already had them open to Matthew 5, but if you don't, go ahead and do that. A short, few short weeks ago, we left off in Matthew as Jesus declared his kingdom's theme and began to give us a taste of the kingdom to those throughout Galilee. And as he touched people's lives in both his word, with both his words and deeds, I mean, in a dramatic way, as he did this, he was bringing life where there was death. Now, can you, can, you, can you picture it with me? He touches people who were ailing, and he heals them and makes them whole. They are with and have demons within them. He touches them and heals them and makes them whole. We get a taste of the kingdom of God. So much so that then as we wish and desire now, that there was a crowd that begins to develop. So the good news of Jesus spread to the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, a region across the Jordan. So I have a map. Somebody told me, uh, it's really faint. Sorry about that. But I, somebody told me that maps are good. It gets people's attention. So I, I'll use them. So at the top, you see Galilee. And at the bottom, Jerusalem. That's not, uh, you know, that's, that's quite a distance and Jesus isn't moving back and forth. I mean, he's not on a shuttle or a metro going back and forth. He literally is just staying in Galilee, and a crowd gathers from all of those regions. It's an incredible thing. So when we think about the taste of the kingdom and even his words about the kingdom, he draws from a broad area. I mean, from all sorts of reasons. This is what's amazing to you. <laughs> I'm just telling you, you should be. And to me, he starts with these words, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Now, the whole idea of repentance, you walk up to a friend and say, you know, it's time for you to repent. See what kind of reaction you get. It's like, you go first. <laughs> right? But Jesus is trying to get their attention. He wants them to stop. He wants them to think about how they're doing life and the way they're doing it. And he does this. And before he gets too far into this, he has to do some explaining. And we'll get to that in a second. But have you ever been in a dark room where there's no light? I mean, literally there's no light. Or maybe it's a, a, a morning and, and for me, sometimes there, uh, you have restless mornings. At your home, you can turn on the light, but if you're camping without a plug-in, you can't turn on the lights. I mean, you have a flashlight, but you can't turn on the lights, right? And you have no control. You, you don't know when it's going to break through. You may not even have a watch. Let's just imagine you don't have a watch, but you're waiting for the globe to get in its right spot so that you can start to kind of see something, some shadowy type of things. There are many moments in our lives not maybe literally that may be the case, but figuratively where that is the case. We are waiting, we're desperate to have some light to shine on what is going on around us, but we're waiting 
In the darkness, it's just... It's, it's dark, it's disorienting. Uh, the circumstances of life can be overwhelming. You don't, sometimes in some of those dark places, you don't even feel like you fit in or you're pushed out. You, you, or, or maybe it's this kind of a darkness. The addiction is something you want out of, but there's just no way on your own power, and you've tried so many times that it just continues to spiral out of control. So maybe this fits for you. Maybe you're a student and the work that's assigned to you just seems out of touch, out of reach. I mean, that for you is heart-wrenching because everybody else is accelerating past you. Or maybe it's your student and you feel all alone. It's like you when you walk into the lunchroom for the first time as a freshman, whether in college or high school, and if you don't have any friends, you stand there and you look around, gripping your lunch bag, or the food tray. And you struggle with not only who you are, but who everybody wants you to be. Maybe you're a little bit older and you're attempting to get that job or that internship, and the darkness for you is just always waiting for the response. Just waiting for the response. You sent them out, but you're waiting Everybody else around you, by the way, is getting their dream. The lights come on for them, but not for you. Maybe you're single. Can I just say it's not by choice, but you're single, and that's where you're at. Maybe it's your health or somebody else's health. And the light is just not coming on. I think Jesus has a word for you this morning. I think Jesus has a word for you to hopefully liberate you and to remind you of one key thing. So back to the passage, back to where we're going. So Jesus has this crowd gathered around him and the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of which he is bringing, is vastly different than anything they've ever seen or experienced. I mean, we see in Mark chapter 1, they're blown away. He's in the synagogue. They're blown away by his teaching. It's just absolutely powerful. And so Jesus sees this crowd around him in Matthew, and Matthew scribes this. And he journeys up the mountainside, which is not uncommon, by the way, of rabbis during the day, to, to journey to a place, sit down, and then begin to teach them. But he journeys up, and not only does he have his own disciples, but there are crowds around him, and he sets them down. And he begins one of the greatest manifestos that this world has ever seen, as far as I'm concerned, if not the, be the, the best, yours to determine, but I would say it is the best. And it's really this manifesto, this manifest about how to do the world, how to do life, how to live his kingdom really inside life, how to do it the right way. So if that is the case, and I believe it is so, I really want to warn you as we re-enter the realm of realignment in God's word, you know that that's exactly what you do. Every time you open the word, it's not what you bring to it, it's what it does to you. There's a, a realignment, there's a restoration, there's, a, there's <laughs> a redemption that takes place. So I just caution you as you encounter it. 
These words that Jesus pave and say, pave the living, pave a way that's countercultural. Pave the way of looking at people, looking at situations, looking at the world that is not scribed by the world around us and maybe even yourself. So if the Holy Spirit prompts you or pings you, I just want to warn you. That's what I'm saying. He wants something to, he wants you to change. There's something he's making you aware of that you need to walk into. So if you have your Bibles open, Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, here we go. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach him. As I said, this is not uncommon for a rabbi to do. He starts to teach and his, his slant on the Torah, his slant on the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament for those of us who are not used to hearing that word. He starts stating in this though who those are who are blessed he says blessed are the poor in spirit those who mourn the meek those who hunger and thirst for righteousness the merciful the pure in heart the peacemakers the persecuted because of righteousness when you look at that list you have to kind of go what blessed jesus these these people aren't blessed they're cursed. I mean, there's, there's, this, this isn't right. It doesn't resonate. We really have to kind of define this word blessed before we get into it, I think, a little bit. It's from uh, the Greek word makarios, which is translated in many different ways depending on the version you have. But this morning, I would, I would want us to lean into this idea that it's, this idea that N.T. Wright says it's wonderful news. That's how he would describe it. Or the Greek translation, there were some dictionaries would say fortunate or even congratulations. You're in, right? It's an amazing wordplay. Oftentimes we hear this as happy. We'll get to that in a second. I don't think that that gets really at what, what Jesus is trying to tell us because we begin to start to bend it to our American thought and we miss the point completely. Oftentimes, too, when we use this word blessed, because it's all over Scripture, right? Blessings and blessed and cursed, right? We kind of tend to fall into uh, this idea of divine blessing, which I'm not sure exactly that that's exactly what's happening here. Uh, Deuteronomy 28.2 says, it says this, all these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. This, is, this would be a divine blessing. If you do what you're supposed to do, then this is your blessing. Yet, Jesus is saying that those listed are blessed, and that doesn't seem to follow. It just seems about who they are. So, I would rather that we use the word for, for this time being, and in this place, the word congratulations Congratulations! You're persecuted. Sounds really warm, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So the idea of blessed takes a little different concept than we're used to hearing, than we're used to saying. Right? So in that ideal, before we get to what it is, what, what isn't it? Let me say what it isn't. It's not a list of virtues. 
This list is not a list of virtues. Jesus states and writes in Matthew, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What, does Je- what is Jesus saying? Oftentimes we read this as a virtue saying, Oh, those that are completely dependent upon God are blessed. And that is a true statement. That is found in other places. But I don't believe that that's exactly what Jesus is saying in this place. What we, we know who he's speaking to. And we know the words that he's using. The idea of poor just means poor. It literally means poor. Those that are living hand in mouth. And when it's tagged on with this idea of the spirit, it's really this idea that the poor, have, they have nothing to offer. If they were to walk in this room, they wouldn't have anything to give us or to you. Spiritually, they would be bankrupt. There's nothing that they can give to you or to me in this moment. But Jesus tells us that they are blessed. Dallas Willard states it this way, blessed are the spiritual zeros, the spiritually bankrupt, deprived, deficient, the spiritual beggars, those without a wisp of religion, when the kingdom of heaven comes upon them. Blessed are they. They are poor. They have little to give and nothing to bring if they have anything. When I was in the Dominican quite a few years ago, we were staying in a house that used to be uh, owned by government officials, really nice mission house they kind of acquired in multiple levels and overlooked the city and overlooked some, <laughs> some bad areas of town. It was in within, uh, you know, it was secured. But then we, we took a journey uh, into the sugarcane fields where, if you didn't know it, uh, the Dominicans and Haitians, they, they don't like each other too much. In fact, the Dominicans use the Haitians it, more, more or less like slaves. They get paid, but it's really kind of poor. And they were in the middle of this, we went to worship with them, they were in the middle of the sugarcane field And the benches we had were uh, rails, kind of like what you would tie a horse to. That's what we sat on. And that's what they worship at. They were were poor. They had nothing to give, nothing to to part, you know, but they, spiritually rich, but they had nothing. And that's what I'm talking about. There was nothing there. You've seen it, maybe, maybe even on TV. Scholar Leon Morris says this in his commentary about this passage. Jesus is not saying that the poverty is a blessing in itself. To canonize a state of life in which people find them against their will. Real poverty does not mean voluntarily choosing to live simply and from which they could escape if they could as scarcely Christian. So when we, ver- when we create a virtue out of this, we're, we're doing a disservice to what Jesus is saying. People in poverty, materially or spiritually, are not asking to be in that state nor desire to be in that state. And that is what Jesus is saying. Blessed are they. Jesus continues, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. We again tempt to uh, make these into virtues. And sometimes maybe you've heard as I've heard and hopefully I haven't said but I'm probably sure I have. Oh, you know, Jesus is meaning those who mourn over their sin. No, Jesus is just the one to mourn, and he's not combining it with sin at all. He's saying those who mourn, 
How many of you are mourning this morning? You're grieving something that has transpired. That's something you would wear. It's not something you'd put on. We wouldn't step into those. It's not comfortable, right? So what is it you're mourning? Loss of a loved one? Loss of a marriage? Loss of a relationship? Your health? Change? If mourning really means mourning, I don't, I don't think Jesus is applauding this. He's putting a different category on this. He's putting a, a different statement. These are broken things that he wishes to make whole. But what is he saying? I mean, blessed are they, he says. Congratulations. We keep going. Jesus states, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, for many of us who have been in and around the church for a while, and if you haven't, you wouldn't have ever gotten this, and that's great because you need to differentiate the different locations. But oftentimes we hear the word meek, and we go, oh, that's a virtue we're supposed to wear. We're supposed to be meek as followers of Jesus. In this case, again, he is not saying meek is a good thing. Meek is truly weak. It is, it is, is put in a position of subjugation in this situation. Not meek as in uh, strength under power or, or, or um, yeah, power under control. In this context, it, it's just talking to those people that are meek and oppressed and lonely, lowly, right? Those who are really outside of the realm of ever getting what they should get. He goes on in Matthew 5, 6 and says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. As as we read this, we could easily put our worship, our, our worship song mentality on, right? We hunger for God. But I like what one person said. He doesn't say hunger and thirst for God. He says hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then we have to ask ourselves a question, wait a second, what does the word righteousness mean throughout Scripture, and what does it often it always stand for? What's well, the right relationship with God, with others, and with themselves? They're hungry and thirsting for a right relationship with those around them, and he calls them blessed. We think of the last few weeks, we walked through this, this part of this conversation in Romans chapter 7, where Paul says, I, I do what I do not want to do. I don't do what I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, right? This is the conversation that fits right here. It's the person that goes, oh, I, I don't get it. I want to do that, but I, I'm doing this. I really hunger for a right relationship with God, with others, and I would even go so far with them, with myself. But I'm not there. I'm not there. I was, uh, a few years ago, um, one of my former bosses in my vocation made the statement, made this statement, and it stuck with me all these years. I, I would rather have somebody who is an alcoholic who desires to love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength as a partner or a member of my church than somebody who casually thinks that social drinking does not have an effect 
They do not understand the impact. I was like, I was really starkly mistaken. And I'm not here trying to make a statement, but I am here trying to make a statement that the hunger for God is, is one thing. They want to do the right thing, but they just can't get there. If, uh, an evening a couple of weeks ago, I was in a Zoom town hall meeting discussing our local prosecutor, our county's prosecutor's decision not to prosecute adult consensual sex buying in our county. While in this town hall meeting where there were only a few of us guys, by the way, there were several people who had been in the business who shared, while they were in the business of selling themselves and in the abuse and violence that all goes with that, by the way, it's just all there, they over and over again, they were like thinking, I, I can't get out of this. Uh, it's just a continual spiral. Now, the cool thing in this town hall meeting, those people who had found their way, they had found their way out, they were advocating for those who were, um, who were in the business and wanted to see this, by the way, if you want to know, they don't like what he's doing. But they just couldn't see their way out. They're hungering and thirsting for a right relationship because they didn't like who they were becoming and who they had become. They didn't like how they were relating to other people around them. They didn't like even probably their relationship. I didn't get to talk to them. Their relationship with God, if they believed in God. They, didn't, they wanted a right relationship. This is who God is talking about. Those who just, whoa, can't, and seem to fi- can't find their way out. So when we see this list, oftentimes we've, we, we create a virtues out of all of these. And in other places in Scripture, that's probably fine. But in this place, that is not what Jesus is saying. And he's talking about the kingdom after he, said, after he said, repent, for the kingdom has gone as near. He is giving us a definition of what the kingdom looks like. We in American, American society tend to psychologize a list of things like poverty and mourning and powerlessness into virtues. I mean, we're about the only society that might do that. But I think used in the wrong place, it does a disservice, and especially this place, to believe, I, to, I believe, what Je- to convey what Jesus is attempting to convey at the beginning to his disciples, to us even today. But there is a division. It's an incredible division. There are eight blessings, and they're split down the middle. The first four are, are not virtues. I would not even classify them there. But there is a clear division, though, between the first four and the last four. In fact, there are 36 words between the, on the first four and the second four. I mean, it's incredible how they do this. Matthew is just awesome in his writing with the Spirit's presence. And so the last four, we can actually kind of, kind of see some virtuesque type of things, right? Jesus says that the peacemakers will be called the children of God. We can go, oh, wait a second, that, that's virtuesque. But it may not completely be there. But even as a peacemaker, let's just play with that one a little bit. This is rather challenging to those who are listening in that moment, right? Who is he talking to? Well, his disciples are are Jews, living in an oppressed type of situation. So what does it mean for them to be a peacemaker? Right? He already has one in in his group that was a zealot. That's what they desired. They desired an overthrow, and Jesus is advocating for peacemaking. I mean, it is an incredible thing. 
So even there, you kind of go, oh, wait a second, I need to wrestle with these a little bit longer, a little bit further. So while they're not a list of virtues in completion, it's not, all, it's not a list of commands either. All right? Jesus isn't commanding you to be poor. How many of you would raise your hand for that one? Yeah, none of us. What about persecution? No, I don't think he's doing that either. But if we're not careful, we can get in prayer meetings where they go, hey, let's pray through these and ask the Lord to, no, I don't think that's what he's doing either. So it's not a list of virtues, it's not a list of commands, and it's not a list of timeless truths either. Let me ask this. Do the meek always inherit the earth? They haven't in my timeline. As long as I've lived, not always, maybe, but usually not. From your experience, who really inherits the earth? Who really runs the earth? Let's be honest. It's those in charge, not the meek. It's those with power and money and prestige. Those people run the world, right? So let's just pick on an area, an area of tension. <laughs> Politics. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. These people are not meek people by any stretch of the imagination. They may want to think they are, but they're not. Not in a a definition of strength under power. I mean, even that doesn't work. Meek's not what comes to mind when I think of politics. There are people who are connected, educated, powerful. They own and will be owners of whatever doesn't matter. While they may believe that they're advocating for the meek, they are not the meek. It's just one. It's not a timeless truth. So do the merciful always receive mercy? Absolutely not. How many places around the world could we name in this room right now where nonviolent people are having violence against them, maybe even killed as they advocate for Jesus or just advocate for peace. They're preyed on continually. People who live full of mercy do not get mercy in return. So we have to ask, what's, what really is going on here? What, what is Jesus saying to us when we walk into this list we've often called the Beatitudes? We have to ask the question, is Jesus telling the truth? Is Jesus wrong? If the people on the list are blessed, then what is it? What is going on? Can I just tell you, I think this is what he's saying. This is the gospel. This is the upside-down kingdom, as we've commented in a few weeks prior. And he starts with this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Right? This is the gospel. These are the people who are welcome in. This is the whole story. So if you look in your Bible, if you look at the top of Matthew, uh, Matthew, it says the gospel according to Matthew, right? Or the gospel according to Mark, or the gospel according to Luke or John. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus is inviting us into and he's wanting to bring to earth. In fact, the kingdom inbreaking is what we and others would consider we, we, we and others may consider in the least likely of places. These are the places where it comes. 
to those who are poor, those who are attempting to, to bring peace. I mean, those that are in that place and its least likely places, just as in Jesus' own birth, he was not to be, in a human way, he wasn't to be born in a manger. He was to be born in a palace. He wasn't to reign privately. He was to reign publicly, more publicly, right? I mean, it's incredible. Jesus is just saying to his disciples, and he's saying to us here, hey, these people are blessed. They didn't do anything. They just showed up, and they're, they're blessed. They're in. Jesus' own disciples who are sitting around him, think about this, make the case for what he's saying right there. Now, there are a few that had power, but they relinquished their power. They weren't the, they weren't the, the wonder children of Israel. They really weren't. They became that of a redemption ask, aspect of, of Jesus' work. But what is Jesus doing? Jesus is radically redefining, redefining who is blessed. That's what he's doing. That's what the kingdom does. This is the problem. When we read a list like this, we contend with it all day long. Why? It's because of where we live and the way we were raised. Our nation is built around the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we could, we could argue, some historians in the room could argue that, wait a second, it's, wait a second, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, maybe not. And that happiness, when it was written, meant something vastly different than what we have created it out to be, this selfish pursuit of individual desires. Really, it was to mean this communal work, possibly, I don't know. And this drive for our pursuit of happiness sets us in stark contrast, not, with, uh, not just with our American reality, but really in the scope of the whole world. I think Jesus is, is really kind of making us aware, wait a second, what you think is right, what I think is right, what I think provides success and presence with him doesn't. Even putting that whole idea of happiness into a conversation piece, social scientists tell us that 50% of us are born happy. I already gave away mine a little bit earlier. Right? Something can always be improved. So that just sucks for the rest of us. Whoops, I said that out loud. Right? I mean... You know, if you're, if you're not genetically predisposed to being happy, then it's up uphill battle there. Some, some people, some of us wonder why we're always pushing a boulder uphill, right? And, and in American culture, happiness is based on comparison anyway. In the landscape of the world, we, we, we tend to base it on what we do or do not have instead of what we have been graced by God. And then on top of it, if we use the word happiness and kind of lean into that a little bit, it's often based on our good circumstances, right? I think of my friends in Haiti or in the Dominican or in Mexico that I've made. And they're just incredibly happy and they have nothing but God himself, right? So many of us, pine for or around different things, the business that we're making. But what happens when the business doesn't work? 
or the marriage that we've wanted or we've been groomed or whatever it may be and we have the ring but then we find out later oh he's not actually actually everything that I thought he was going to be right the career this is probably one that probably gets most of us the career that we thought uh, isn't the career that it is right we build our happiness around some of those things that just fall apart Jesus says to those who are in those places and spaces, congratulations, fortunate are you because you are in those places. You're poor, you're meek, you're not strong, you don't have power. Congratulations. So we have to ask the question, wait a second, if he's saying we're blessed, how do we view this? How do we look at this? And this is so vitally important because we can't, work, we can't look at it through the lens of an American way of doing it. We have to look through the lens of the kingdom and the kingdom is being brought in. The interesting thing is most scholars tell us is the kingdom that Jesus initiated is not the kingdom that is completely here. Maybe we've come to realize that with all the brokenness around us. But it is a, king that, a kingdom that is now and later. Yeah, I do love that old candy that breaks your teeth. It just reminds me it's a work in progress, right? It's a now and not yet. And this is what's incredible. The Beatitudes signal that to us. If we, if we see it or hear it, we'll be in tune to it. Take a look at this or listen to it. It's not up on the screen. For the first and the last Beatitudes speak to present tense. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But listen to this, the six others that sit in the middle, they will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. They will see God. They will be called children of God. They are yet to come. So what does this mean for us in the moment? If Jesus is telling his disciples, you and I, them then, hey, this, these, this is the kingdom composition. What does it mean for us? I think it means this. We have to recognize and understand that there's tension in the now. There's tension in the now. We realize it. We already know that. We believe it. But I think we have to acknowledge it. And we have to kind of continue to raise that up the kingdom in breaking it's just like the sun of the dawn i mean it's just constantly moving but it's 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 at its own pace so what are we doing we're called to live our lives through the lens of the inbreaking jesus kingdom the inbreaking of jesus kingdom right we're called to live our lives in that tension So if we do that, if we view our lives through the lens of the, of the kingdom and in light of the scripture, what does that mean? Well, for some of you this morning, you looked at the list and went, man, I'm not even on that list. Praise God. And what I would tell you is celebrate. If you literally are not on that list this morning, celebrate, literally. Because the world around you will tell you, oh, 
you can't celebrate because that's not right. It's unfair to those around us. And I would say absolutely not. You should celebrate that you're not on, those, on that list if that is the case for you. And to celebrate and thank Jesus. But there's also another aspect about it is that if that's the case, then you leverage your position, leverage your place, leverage who you are and advocate for those who are on that list. But what about those of us who are on that list this morning? You're mourning. You find yourself in poverty you never thought you would. You are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, not so much maybe with your fellow man and maybe with God, but you just, you don't, you just with yourself even. Can I just tell you this? And it seems rather short. It seems rather not complete in some ways, but I think it is completely complete, if I can use that. If you're on this list, you're blessed. That's what Jesus is telling you. And the world around you, this is, the, this is what's happening. The world around you tells you you're not. Those who are rich tell you if you're poor, you're not blessed. You're not doing it right. And Jesus says, wait a second, you're blessed. Let me tell you who you are. If you're in mourning, he says, you're blessed. Right? Listen to the words of the Lord to you this morning. You're blessed. We're blessed in our pain, not in spite of our pain. There's a blessing that comes in when we view the world and view life as he's directing us and guiding us as the kingdom that comes through your pain. And some of you know that. You've pursued and persisted through that. Good for you. He tells you this morning that you're blessed. Let's pray.